Man runs for home. They're not sure whether he hit home base or not. And the umpire, everyone's waiting for his decision. Hmm. This is a tough one. I'm not really sure whether he's out or not. Listen, that's what James would call a double-minded man. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We have begun a study in the book of James. We will face trials in life, and we should not be surprised when we do. Let's join Pastor Carl as he looks at how James encourages us to encounter the trials and difficulties of life with joy. He said, don't be surprised when you're persecuted like this is odd. Jesus said, if they mistreated me, they'll mistreat you because you're not above the master. Listen, the prosperity theology of our day absolutely is nauseating, it's offensive, and I know it's disgusting to God. It's just stinking, rotten, bad theology, and it's not even close to being right into what God says in his word. But James didn't teach that. Trials are a part of life. They're a part of the maturation process. So he says, count it all joy, not when you escape various trials. Now, that might make more sense to some. But count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Remember to whom he is writing. We studied that single verse last week. He is writing to the diaspora, to the dispersed ones, to the scattered people. Well, these scattered people were not a sheltered people. Consider it all joy, again, not if, but when. When you encounter various trials. Now, you don't even have to go looking for them. Sooner or later, they're going to come to you. If you are a member of the human race, you will face trials. That's the fact of trials. Second, beyond the fact of trials, there is the form of trials. The form of trials. There's a note-taking outline for those online who've just tuned in. You can download it and take notes. The form of trials. Again, here in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Some translations say diverse trials. The American Standard Version of 1901, which was a predecessor to the new American Standard that you're reading, most of you, says manifold trials. Or the Net Bible uses three words to translate the one, all sorts of trials. It's the word poikolos, and it comes into Latin and then into English as polka dot. Polka dot trials. Trials are spotted, they're dotted, they're speckled, they're, they're, they're splattered, they're of all sizes and shapes. They come in many, many different forms and ways. They might be concerning your health, they might be concerning your job, different relationships, your, your standing in the community, your past, your hopes that maybe seem shattered, your children, whatever it may be. Trials come in many colors like the rainbow that God himself created. Many and varied polka dot kind of trials that come into this world. Now we get sick, things that we own break, accidents happen, disappointments come, and at time even tragedies in life. Life is full of trials. Life is not perfect. Add to that, as Christians, we face some trials that come from the evil one. Job was such a one, and before we're done with James, he himself will mention Job, because we wage war not against people, but against the powers, against the evil one. 
And so James tells us that we're going to encounter or you're going to fall into, or the RSV says you're going to experience, or you're going to face various trials, again, depending on your English translation. Here is a beautiful place to visit when you go to Israel. We speak about the man who was on the Jericho Road. Remember, he went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He went down some 3,000 feet. Now, if you go to Israel today, you never really see this road unless you make a special stop there. And it's kind of out of the way, but it's a magnificent place to see. This was the road that that man traveled on when he fell among robbers. And in fact, the word fell among robbers is the same word that's used here in the NASB as encounter. He encountered, he fell among robbers. It's actually used only one other time in all the New Testament. In Acts chapter 27, when the Apostle Paul is on a ship headed towards Rome, and then they unexpectedly encounter, same word, this storm that, of course, breaks the ship apart. We studied it recently. And so the Greek word expresses just some unexpected, sudden trial that comes upon you. And very often, that's the way trials come, just suddenly, without warning, like the man who encountered the robbers on the Jericho Road. In fact, the word here for trial is a rather interesting word in itself. In verbal form, it is actually a word in Greek that comes into Latin, that comes into English as pirate. We get our English word pirate from this Greek word. I mean, you're just sailing along, everything seems to be fine, and all of a sudden the shadow of a pirate ship comes up along your ship, and they try to break on board. Well, you may be sailing along life, and everything seems good, and then suddenly, unexpectedly, a trial comes. Now, I know what some of you are thinking here this morning. You're thinking, Pastor, everything is just fine. I have no problems in life. My blood pressure is down. My bank account is up. Everything is sweet. You just wait. It's coming. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Some of you are coming out of a trial. Some of you listening to me today, you're right in the midst of a trial. And some of, some of you, like the, like the man walking on the Jericho Road, suddenly, unexpectedly, a trial is going to come on your life. The next phone call could bring a tragedy. And so how are we going to respond? It may be a trial that comes just because we live in a fallen world. Look, some of the trials we bring, quote unquote, on ourselves, and we'll see that as we continue through this short little epistle. A lot of the problems we have, they are just a, a kickback for bad choices that we have made due to disobedience. Or a trial could be a solicitation to evil. And we'll see next time how a trial can turn into a temptation if we do not respond properly to the trial. Winston Churchill, in addressing the House of Commons, gave this advice, quote, We must always be ready to meet at our average moment anything that any possible enemy could hurl against us at this selected moment. Now, that's a wise statement. I don't know if Winston Churchill ever came to a saving faith in Christ, but what he said, whether he knew it or not, was a biblically-based statement. Are you ready in the average moment of life for what the devil or what life may bring in some selected moment 
Trials and temptations can be encountered quickly, unexpectedly, again like the man on the Jericho Road. And so Peter said, we're not to be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes upon us. And so James is saying, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Now, just make sure you don't misunderstand what James is saying. He's not saying that you're going to necessarily enjoy your trials, nor is he saying to feel it all joy. Don't go into some hospital room and say, hey, James said you're supposed to have a happy smile on your face. No, he said, consider it all joy. Hey, listen, there was never a time when Jesus was not filled with the Spirit. There was never a time when he didn't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. He had gentleness when he went into that temple and he turned over the tables. He had joy when he was crying and weeping there in the Garden of Gethsemane, something that the writer of the Hebrews reveals to us. Consider it all joy. Count it all joy. And this word consider, this word count, is actually a first century Greek financial term. To total it all up, to evaluate, and then come to a conclusion. By the way, the Apostle Paul uses the same word in Philippians 3. He said this, but whatever things were gained to me... Those things I have counted, same words, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So in the same way that Paul considered or counted all things gained to him to be garbage in view of the surpassing value of being saved and coming to know Jesus as Lord, even so, we need to evaluate our trials. We need to do some calculation. We need to do some divine math. Now, if you do your math the world's way, you'll come up with a different sum. But if you do your math God's way, then you can come up to an entirely different conclusion. And so, as you might expect, since God wants to grow us, trials are not elective courses. They're required courses. God wants to use them. But he wants us in the midst of suffering and hardship to calculate, to consider. Much like Paul did, he considered all things as dung. All these great things he had when he compared them to the value of being saved, born again, and knowing God in any personal way, he said, they don't even add up. Years ago, I did a series on the life of Joseph. We were studying the book of Genesis, and it was kind of a sobering study for me, and I think for most of us. Because if Joseph counted things the way the world would, he would have ended up as a bitter, angry, complaining man. If you remember, he was sold into slavery. Uh, his youth, in essence, was lost. He was separated from his dad and mom. He grew up in a strange land. He was sold as a slave. And finally, uh, someone showed up who gave him a better job. But then his boss's wife accused him of attempted rape. He sent into prison as an innocent man. And if you remember there, he interprets the dreams of two men. They both come true. But he asks the cupbearer, he said, listen, when your dream comes through, remember me to Pharaoh. And years go by, and he totally forgets Joseph. From the world's point of view, if Joseph had calculated the trials he went through, he would have been a bitter and angry man. It appeared he didn't get any kind of a fair shake in life. But if you remember, after his brothers come to Egypt and they finally figure out who this prime minister is, Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He calculated the trials he had gone through in an entirely different way. James is trying to give us that perspective. Look at verse 3. Knowing 
that the testing of your faith produces endurance. How can we possibly count it all joy? Because we know something. We know that trials can be used by God to produce endurance. Some translations say steadfastness, perseverance. The King James renders it as patience, hupomone. There's not a single English word that will catch the nuances in the Greek. It refers to someone who bears up under a heavy load. Have you ever prayed, God, make me more patient. Make me more like Jesus Christ. And the moment you begin to pray that, you say, well, Lord, what happened? He says, I'm just answering your prayer. That's all I'm doing. I'm, I'm just answering your prayer. So the word refers to the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances, to persevere, to endure. It's not just I need more patience with my kids or I need to be calm in the midst of a jittery situation. Those things may be included, but rather he's speaking here of consistency. I mean, have you ever said, well, I, I don't pray as I ought. I don't witness as I ought. You know, I'm on again, off again. I want to be consistent. You know, I have this roller coaster up and down kind of Christian life. And what does God do? He brings trials to try to make us more consistent. And so James is telling us when your faith is stretched, when your faith is challenged through various trials, the end result potentially, and I say potentially, is endurance. When I was a boy, I used to love to swim underwater. And you'd try to develop your lung capacity, and you'd see how many laps in the pool you could do underwater. And I was in Israel a few years ago, and this Russian brother was with me, and I said, I think I can outswim you. And he went all the way across and made it all the way in and came up gasping air. And I hit the end, and I was determined. I kicked off, and I went another five or six yards. You see, you have to develop that lung capacity. You've got to develop that endurance. James is saying that's what trials do. They develop endurance. It's what God uses to build character. So God tells us first something about the fact of trials. Then he tells us something about the form of trials. They are multifaceted. They are polka dot. They are multicolored. But then he tells us about the fruit of trials, the fruit of trials. Verse 4 indicates the fruit of our trials is maturity. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is a choice we make. We have to decide whether or not we will let endurance have its perfect result. In other words, we're not to short-circuit what God wants to do by trying to escape the trial or by not responding in a proper way. And when we don't, usually it comes all over again. So we are to let endurance to be developed. By the way, that's an imperative. That's a command. In our English text and the verb that he uses in the Greek New Testament. This is a command. Let, let, let. It's an obedience issue. Let endurance have its perfect result. Now, this word perfect is the word teleos. Depending on the context, it typically does not mean sinlessness, but rather it typically means maturity in the New Testament. In fact, there are two words that are used in Koine Greek to describe the fruit-bearing process that are used in the New Testament. One word refers to a piece of fruit that has all the component parts. So you can have a peach that has all the component parts, but it's green and it's rock hard. It's complete in that it has all the parts, 
but it's not ripe. That's not the word that he uses. He uses a word that would describe a peach that is just fully ripe, and you bite into it, and the juice just kind of pours down your face. That's the picture here. Someone who, through the maturation process, has become sweet and juicy in their Christian expression. So you can meet Christians who know a lot. You know, they can tell you who the Antichrist is by name in Revelation 13. They can tell you what nation the ten toes and Daniel's beast represent. But they're not Christ-like. They know a doctrine so well they can split it ten different ways. They've got the component parts, but they haven't matured. So verse 4 says, and let. Grammatically, again, it's an imperative. It's something we are to do. While we cannot choose what trials come our way, we must choose how we respond to those trials. Do you know how I can tell whether or not I am letting a trial have its perfect result? It's whether or not I am counting it joy. You see, we can run away from our trials. We can try to bail out of our trials. Oh, we want a new job because we don't like the boss and everything will be fixed. All I need is a new boss. And we run away from these things. And God wants us to persevere. We want the end result. We want the product. But we don't typically want the process that will bring about that product. Now, there's a second point. We are not only to have joy in our trials. James wants us to know that we are to ask for wisdom through our trials. We are to ask for wisdom through our trials. Why do we sometimes fail the tests that God brings into our life? Well, James gives us two reasons here in verses 5 through 8. First, we fail in our trials because of a lack of wisdom. Now, remember, in the Jewish biblical mindset, wisdom is not just what you know, but it's the ability to live your life well. And so this same word for wisdom is used throughout the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs. It's not simply knowledge. It's knowledge applied. So you can know all the facts and still not make a wise decision. And so we're instructed here in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, there's really a day that goes by where I don't need to ask God for some kind of wisdom. It might be a decision of life. It might be some decision with someone that I'm trying to counsel or help. It might be some decision that affects the body life of this church. And so I'm seeking God to give me wisdom. And he faithfully promises to give. See, James is a realist here. He knows that in order for us to accept his premise to adopt the attitude of joy in the midst of a trial, that we need to stay under the trial, that we need to allow the testing to produce maturity in our life. But he knows that there's at least one major problem, and that is, is that we don't understand why this trial is coming upon us, and then we don't ask for wisdom to go through this trial. We're going to need wisdom in order to understand the hammer of God as it bangs on our life, that it's coming from the hand of God, that nothing comes apart from his providence. Look, the hairs on your head are numbered. A sparrow can't fall to the ground without God attending its funeral. So we are going to need wisdom to believe in God's providence 
and whatever we are facing. And so that leads us to the next point. We fail in our trials because of a lack of prayer. We fail in our trials because of a lack of prayer. You see, often others talk about the problem that they are going to. They talk to their spouse about it. They talk to their friends about it. They talk to their pastor about it. They talk it over in their own mind. But they don't speak to God about it. And he wants us to ask him. We studied James a little bit in our series on prayer that I did on Wednesday night in the basic discipleship course, and we talked about a number of reasons, six reasons why God doesn't answer prayer. And one of the most commonly reasons that God does not answer prayer is it's not asked. Unasked prayer results in unanswered prayer. And God wants us to ask him for wisdom in the midst of a trial. We sometimes ask for wisdom about our future or about a move or a job. God wants us to ask in the midst of a trial. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without a a reproach, and it will be given to him. If you need wisdom to evaluate your problems in life with joyful endurance, Ask God. And please circle the word all in the, in the verse because it's a reminder that our Heavenly Father does not pr- play favorites. He doesn't say, well, you're one of my top students. I'm going to give you wisdom. Oh, that other brother, I'm not so sure. No, God gives to all, to all generously and without reproach. The word generous literally means to spread out, to stretch out. It's a picture of God with outstretched arms wanting us to come to him. That's the attitude. That's the spirit that God has. Sometimes I ask someone to do something that I need some help with, and they say, well, pastor, if you, if you can't find anybody else, come back to me. But God is not like that. He doesn't say, you know... You were just here five minutes ago. What are you doing back here? God's not bothered. With outstretched arms, liberally, without reproach, he is willing and wanting to give you wisdom. He's got open hands, not a clenched fist. He's wanting and willing to respond. Now, notice what James does not say. He does not say, if any man lacks knowledge, let him ask of God. No, he uses this word, wisdom. Mankind increasingly has more and more knowledge. We know how to travel faster than the speed of light, but we're going in the wrong direction. And our depravity is showing itself more and more with every decade that goes by. Now, there's a third reason we fail the tests of life. Sometimes we fail because of a lack of wisdom. Sometimes because of a lack of prayer. But sometimes we fail in our trials because of a lack of faith. A lack of faith. Look now, if you will, at verse 6. But we must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Our request for wisdom must be asked like any other request that we make of God in faith. In faith without any doubting of God's ability or his desire to give us that wisdom. So it's essential not only that you come in faith. Notice again, let me read it again. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Some of your translations say like a wave of the sea. What a beautiful description. Someone who comes in unbelief 
or they don't think it's really necessary for them to ask, that they can figure it out on their own, then they're like a boat on the sea that's turbulent, just up and down and all over the place. And James wants us to know, look, if you're in this state of agitation, it's either A, because you did not ask, or B, you did not come in faith. Which is why he now says in verse 7, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. That is, the one who doubts, who lacks faith, should not expect God will give him anything. Let's read verses 7 and 8 together. Look at your text. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God is clear that wisdom is never given to the double-minded man. It's the ninth inning, the seventh game of the World Series. The bases are loaded. The game is tied. There are two outs, a full count. The man gets up to hit the ball. It's the most determinative pitch of the whole game. He bunts up the third baseline, and the man runs for home. They're not sure whether he hit home base or not, and the umpire, everyone's waiting for his decision. Hmm, this is a tough one. I'm not really sure whether he's out or not. Listen, that's what James would call a double-minded man. When you ask God for wisdom, you are to come knowing and believing that he is there with open arms wanting to respond to you. And if that's your attitude, God will give you wisdom. If it's not your attitude, then you claim verse 7 as a promise. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. You'll be like a boat tossed out on a turbulent sea. Doesn't matter how many words you bring to God in prayer. There has to be a single-mindedness that you come to God with, not a double-mindedness, and that's where the problem is. People come. They come asking for wisdom, but they've already got their mind made up. Or they come asking for wisdom... And part of them wants the will of God, but there's a part of them over here that they don't want to give up this sin, that they know is sin, they know it's evil, and they don't want to turn away from it. And you say, oh, God, give me direction. God says, I won't. They're hoping sometimes that God is just going to rubber stamp the decision that they've already made in their own mind. A double-minded man, literally the Greek text says a two-souled man, a man with two souls in modern vernacular, a man with two hearts or two directions. He's referring to someone who's constantly up and down, changing allegiances, and hasn't determined in his mind whether or not he's going to walk in the center of God's will. No, God says, you come with a single-minded devotion because he's worthy of single-minded devotion. Lord, I am willing. Here I am. My heart is clear vertically with you. My heart is clear horizontally with my brother. Here I am, Lord. Whatever you want, show me the purpose of this trial, and you will know the wisdom that God promises to give. Now, third, if we face our trials victoriously, we are to have joy in our trials. We are to ask for wisdom through our trials. But finally, in verses 9 through 12, James teaches us we are to gain perspective from our trials. We are to gain perspective from our trials. Let's read verses 9 through 11, and then we'll go back and dig out the finer points. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. 
and the rich man is the glory in his humiliation. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, go online to searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 002. You can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays a role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl will continue his study in the book of James, examining how God is generous in giving wisdom to his children. Join us then as we search the scriptures.